Hello and welcome to The Thin Place, a podcast devoted to studying faith and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Morfield, that's me. This is episode number 51 for December 2014. We will be discussing the film Calvary, directed by John Michael McDonough. The film is about a priest who has a small little Irish village that he's caring for and is threatened with death. I would just put in um, our standard spoiler disclaimer. If it's possible possible to need a spoiler disclaimer in a film titled Calvary, this is not a (laughs) spoiler-free discussion. So if you don't want to know, if you have not yet seen the film and you don't want to know how a film named Calvary ends... Go watch the film, or read the New Testament, and uh, then come back and uh, yeah, listen to the discussion. Fair enough. So yeah, our, our basic story is a Catholic priest is threatened with death by a uh, a victim of priest abuse who makes the argument that, well, he can't wreck his vengeance on the person who abused him because that person is dead. And he also thinks the way to make the biggest statement is to kill a good priest as opposed to one of the abusing priests. And the film follows the week between the threat and then the actual event. So this film got a lot of press coverage in, in Christian media. A lot of Christian film critics seem to really like it. Ken, you seem to be less thrilled? Uh, yeah, I think that's an accurate assessment. I mean, our our sort of theme for the podcast that we had settled on is good, not great. Yeah. You know, or good or great. You know, good <laughs> or great. And, you know, I definitely come down on on the good side. I feel as though I've been a voice in the Christian media applying the brakes to, and I often feel that way about any movie, you know, maybe I'm just, my temperament is slightly less enthusiastic about anything not directed by the Dardans, I guess, because <laughs> I was fairly gushing about that movie. But yeah, I, I was, I was kind of waffling between two and a half and three stars out of four at my review for Christianity today. And, and, it seemed as though other people I know who saw the film or reviewed the film were much more were much more enthusiastic about it. Um, I saw it for the first time just 24 hours before we did the podcast, and uh, I think my initial response was that I, I found it very thought provoking. Day later, I'm still thinking about various lines, certain scenes, and what they. But what they mean in, in terms of the film and also then just as sparks for meditation on certain other topics. And that's a good thing. I think that's one of the things I look for in a good story is something that makes me think. Um, I, I sense a but coming but, on. But, but, but <laughs> there is that, that difference between good and great is, I think, something worth thinking about. Um, and And it seems that in our current media situation, it's hard to 
allows something to be simply good and without gushing all over it and making it the best thing ever. And that's a good point. Um, and, and I think it's worth emphasizing at that point. Uh, sometimes we have a tendency or I have a tendency to come down on that trend in or amongst Christian critics or media, but that's in no way exclusive to Christian. No. I think it's sometimes exaggerated amongst Christian critics because there's a lot of Christian art, particularly Christian cinema, that is so bad that when something is good, you know, it's just such a relief that right. it doesn't suck and that I don't, you know, here's a Christian movie I don't have to be embarrassed right. about that we might have a tendency to overpraise it just as as teachers, if we have a class of bad students and we get a, a B-plus paper, we might have a tendency to reward it a little bit more right. because it looks better. And, 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 and on many levels, the film is very well done. Uh, I think we both agree that Brendan Gleeson, as the priest, um, does a great acting job. Yes. If he's nominated for any number of awards, I think that will be perfectly appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. There are any number of visuals in the film that are just stunningly gorgeous. I mean, of course, it, it, it's hard with the Irish landscape not to make pretty pictures, but there are some, I think, not, not just well-shot, but well-used landscape picture, you know, images that, that really add to the film. I, I agree. I would say one thing that a second viewing uh, really did for me was make me appreciate the cinematography a lot more than I did on the first viewing. I, I may have been more keyed into the story in the first viewing and with a, a second viewing, having a little bit more freedom to look because I knew what was going on. I, I was struck by, boy, I don't remember the film being this pretty. I don't mean that in a, in a derisive way uh, because there is something very thematically effective about uh, the grandeur and the beauty, particularly of the natural world and the natural landscape as a counterpoint to the smallness and the pettiness of the human world and uh, really make you feel that contrast of the sadness of the Christian living in a fallen world because it's not just a, a Hobbesian view of, you know, life is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short, uh, but they're, you know, it reminded me actually a little bit more of Gerard Manley Hopkins and some of his poems of the world is charged with the grandeur of God and no matter how much we uglify it right. socially or naturally, there is still beauty in it. So that's some of the, the really good things here that I think we can really value in the film. But I, both of us have said that it's good but not great. So what is it that what would make it great, or what keeps it from being great is, I guess, the natural and immediate thing that we should go to. Right. Well, see, part of my, my hope in, in assigning this movie is that you would come down on great so that you could talk me, you could talk me into it because I'm having a very hard time answering that question. Uh, certainly the closest answer I've come up with is that the film seems to me to be exaggerated in a way that I was not entirely comfortable with. Uh, Father James, while not perfect, is a little too good, a little too perfect. And the villagers as a whole, 
while not caricatured in an evangelical porn left behind kind of way, are so exaggerated in their hostility and their antagonism to him that at a certain point, uh, the or at certain points, the film almost felt more triumphal uh, to me than maybe it intended, or more of uh, like, yeah, we sure, you know, Christianity is the religion, or Catholicism is the denomination of these priest abuses and these bad things, but but um, really secretly deep down, we are better than everyone else. And what would you do, uh, I'm thinking, for, for most of the film, I think I, I agree with you somewhat, but there is that interesting scene where Father James goes into the pub, gets drunk, yeah, um, says some mean things, um, gets beat up, Mm-hmm. You know, well, he and he instigates the fight. He, right. He, it, it's not that he, you know, the, the town people turn on him. Somebody he instigates mm-hmm. um, a fight, shoots up the bar. Is that before, or after the the church burns down? It's after. Yeah. So I mean, he's I mean, he's angry. I mean, yeah. Um, but you know, he goes into the pub, shoots it up, and gets beat up. I mean, in terms of him being too good, I guess is the well, yeah. Again, so it's like he's not perfect, mm-hmm. but there's that sense in which he's still dealing with the stress and pressure better than we would have anyone to have a right to expect, and better than, say, his counterpart does, you mm-hmm. know, of uh, like, well, his counterpart deals with unimaginable pain and suffering that's unjust and unfair, and responds with, I can't, I can't absorb that amount of unfairness or pain or injustice. I'm just going to have to kill somebody. And Father James gets drunk and has a fight or, or whatnot, which is, okay, that's not perfect. Right. But he ultimately does accept that pain or punishment or, or at least deals with it better than most anyone would have a reasonable expectation of, of doing. And we do get the interesting bit after the fight where he's packing his bags. In fact, he's, he gets all the way to the airport mm-hmm. to leave. Right. And, but then struggles and works his way around to going back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the interesting thing about the character is he may be too good, but he doesn't, it, it's not that, as though he's not without struggle. He does right. struggle through his things. And, and in the sense of the exaggerated characters, and one of the, the, the words that, we kind of threw around in our pre-show was allegory. Yeah. Um, that these, that the film, it might be seen as more of an allegory, the bad characters, or the, the townspeople characters are, we've got the rich guy, and he's got all the problems of the rich guy. We've got... Um, the serial killer. The serial killer. We have the, the, the woman, the, the loose woman. We have these different... We got the atheist doctor. The atheist doctor. Who even says, I'm a cliche. Yeah. You know, the atheist doctor. And I'm a less interesting cliche than you are, who right. is the good priest. And uh, So we do get those things. But even within that, we we do see the character, our head character, kind of like Pilgrim, Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, having his doubts, having his struggles. And he does work his way to coming back to the 
the town knowing that he's going to have to face this person who's threatened his life. And, but he almost has to, doesn't he? Yeah, well, let me interject here and, and sort of say, I guess if we throw that term around the lit teacher and me wants to define the term then, when sure. we say allegory, we're usually talking about a story. All stories, to a certain extent, have a degree of symbolism. The white whale stands in for nature or whatever. Allegories are generally a special name that we give to stories in which there is a one-to-one correspondence between objects in the story and usually abstract ideas. Right. Uh, you mentioned Pilgrim's Progress, so Pilgrim stands for Pilgrim, Mr. Worldly Wise Man stands for philosophy, the sloth of despair stands for uh, depression, um, in which characters stand in for abstract ideas, and it becomes really a way not so much of telling a story as an alternate way of tossing around ideas. And I think that, to a certain extent, film is a medium that I like my stories to be stories, and I have no problem with, in literature or in sermon form, uh, really wrestling with these ideas. Uh, there's a long tradition and of, of you know wrestling with ideas. Right. And Jesus used allegories. There's nothing wrong with uh, allegories. There is a sense in which an allegory, like a metaphor, always breaks down if you push it too far. And so I, you know, I think Calvary works for me as a way of introducing these ideas. Do we talk too much about sin and not enough about virtue? And these become like uh, hooks in an allegory to introduce these these ideas. But I then think once these fascinating and important ideas are introduced, allegories become very difficult venues of really teasing out these ideas uh, or developing these ideas or dealing with any kind of ambiguity within the ideas because then allegories work a lot better if they are one simple idea and the moral of the story right. is, you know. And for me, that might be where it brushes right up, perhaps a little further towards great than where you're comfortable going with it. But for me, part of it is that allegories tend to lack an emotional connection to, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, or and they, they, they're very difficult to get into any kind of deep emotional connection with because they're abstract. Well, they, they're they're because it's about these abstract ideas. Um, and to say that Calvary does not have emotion would not be right. Um, it, it there is there's a, a very touching father daughter relationship that gets developed and it explores somewhat. Um, Again, it, it has its limits, I think, because it is an allegorical story. But there is some emotion there. But the I, what keeps it from being great is that is that allegorical edge to it that still keeps us at a bit of a an abstract distance. Um, whereas I think a film that wasn't so concerned about the allegory would be would dive into those a little more deeply. Perhaps I, I mean yeah. the, now we're in that situation which I never want to be in, but seem to find myself in all too often, which is criticizing the movie for not being something else instead of 
okay, maybe that's not the movie you wanted, or maybe you want just, you know, I just wanted a different movie, but that's not the same thing as saying it's not a good movie. Right. I wanted to add, additionally, under the category of ideas, that no one else, problems no one else seems to have with this movie because it's allegorical, uh, that I'm not altogether convinced that Father James did the right thing. And maybe the movie is not convinced either, but I think if you're going to call it Calvary or or whatnot, then, as you had said in, during pre-show, he has to go back to the beach. Right. But the reality is, is that I, I think that's necessary because the movie requires him to be a Christ figure on the road to Calvary and be about that experience, and not because going back to the beach is unequivocally the right thing to do, the best thing to do, or the Christian thing to do. Uh, and I'm not just talking about you know the equivocation the film makes early on about his self-defense right. and okay exception to thou shalt not kill. I'm even just talking about in, in terms of loving your neighbor or whatnot, that the film seems to be more interested in the heroicness of his courage of being able to face his, his death than whether or not that is the only way or the best way to act in Christian love towards this man who has been abused. Because it seems to me that then... What the film wants is that the film wants the man to kill him so that they didn't have this great payoff scene of the daughter coming to visit him in prison, ostensibly to say, I forgive you. Right. Because forgiveness is, you know, we, at least Father James has said the greatest virtue and we don't talk enough about virtues. But then that also seems to me to be about like, well, maybe we could have saved you being in this place where you're in prison for the rest of your life. Uh, by getting you some help that you needed, even if you say right. that you didn't want it or that it would be pointless. The cost of doing so might have been that I would look less brave in the world's eyes, but there's a kind of courage that has the courage to do the right thing because it is the right thing and not just because it looks like the right thing or because you know that it will get you praise from... You know. uh, and as far as that goes, I mean, there is the interesting scenes where he goes to his, the cardinal. Yes. And is, because, I mean, he, he gets this death threat, and, I, you know, one can certainly agree with him, oh, I better go talk to my boss and find out what should we do about this. And the cardinal wants to take it more seriously, I think, than, than he does. Um, I think initially he says, it's your decision. Yeah. Kind of. Hunts it down. He hunts it down a bit, but there's still a bit of that. Hey, you know this. It's a serious threat. This is a serious thing, and and Father James keeps thinking that he can. Well, I I can handle it, or I I hope that we can talk through this, or yeah, and it's and I don't think it's quite pride or hubris. Yeah, you know, but I do think that it is a little bit of you know, perhaps romanticizing martyrdom as being somehow more attractive or more grand or more glorious than romanticizing other forms of servitude or something like that. And or other kinds of sacrifice. Yeah, other exactly. A sacrifice of reputation, sacrifice of face. Yeah. Um, the two sort of examples 
that I made, one I made the UM pre-show and the other I made online in the Arts and Forum was Thomas More in A Man for All Seasons. In the other was Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma. And in both instances, well, in, in A Man for All Seasons, he's like, I want to hear this decree because if I can sign it, I will. And he has a talk with his daughter about martyrdom and sort of like, you know, isn't that what this is all about? You're willing to sign it at this point. And, and it's more saying God doesn't call us to annihilate ourselves or martyr ourselves. Uh, in fact, if there's any way we can avoid martyring ourselves, we should. And I think that the film seems to not, the Calvary film doesn't seem to have that same sort of notion of self-preservation, that my life is precious to God, and if there's any way I should avoid Right. Because, again, it's an allegory, and there's no way it can be an allegory if he doesn't voluntarily choose to sacrifice it. In the MLK one, there's there's a key point in which they're all at the Selma Bridge. Uh, he's rallied thousands of people, including, you know, white people. The police stand down. He gets on his knees and prays, and instead of marching into the he turns around and goes back. And everyone is mad at him and said, that was our moment. Why did you do that? And he says, I would rather people be angry at me for or think that I was a coward or think that I was then do the wrong thing and have innocent people get beat up or suffer on account of my pride or my vanity. And I'm not sure at the end of the film, Father James is certainly not better off. Right. For his unwillingness. His daughter is not better off. I'm not sure that the guy who killed him is better off. I mean, maybe he's better off in the sense of he had a choice, you know, rather than a choice taken from him. Mm -hmm. But. Well, and here's where we we come into the question. Film's called Calvary. Right. Um, I'm looking at the movie poster that has our priest and then on his chest is a cross made out of, I guess, little fires, it looks like. Um, but Christ figure. And we, we keep saying this is an allegory, and, and obviously the priest is a Christ figure in this story. So who is he dying for? I guess is what I'm left with here is if, if, <laughs> if, if we're saying that he's a Christ figure, we're saying this is an allegory, the film, and, I, and I, I think the film does lay out that way. Yeah. Um, then the question is, okay, who... What's he an allegory of? Who is his... If, if he's a Christ figure and he dies, who is he dying for? I mean, what what salvation, what atonement is served by this death? And I don't know that the film's clear on that. Well, I, I, I will go a step further and say, not only do I not think the film is clear on that, I think the film is muddled on that. Because I think in the opening, the murderer makes such a big deal out of, I'm going to kill you because you are innocent. Right. And then when they get on the beach, he says, not you're innocent, but you're indicted because you cried for your dog, but you didn't cry for the abuse victims. And because you didn't cry, because you're a representative of the church, he starts to answer the question, why did he not cry for them? Well, I guess I felt 
detached or whatever. And the guy shoots him and says, detach yourself from that. And so, you know, it's very clear at that point, then he's not dying. Well, or it seems to me the film wants to have it both ways. It's like, we've got this great opening scene of set out and it's just Cracker Jack or whatnot. Uh, but it's hard to think it through because he can't kill a priest because he's good, because there's no one good. Not one, not even Father James, not right. even. And so having then the the murderer and die him at the last point, it in some ways comes across to me as the movie wanting to have its cake and eat it too. We're going to indict him for as being part of a church and say that, you know, it's understandable why the person did this, uh, but it's also... He's not like the church in, in that, that other sort of way. And yeah, we're, all of us are uncomfortable with, with corporate guilt or, or, you know, want to get away from a death sentence in, in a Calvinistic sort of way by saying, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners, but I'm not as bad as, right. a, as someone else. And so this sounds almost shocking to say, but does he deserve to die or doesn't he? I mean, it, 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 in what sense is he a Christ figure? Who is he dying for? Well, in another sense in which the Christ figure, the allegory, is always going to break down is no one can be a real Christ figure right. because no one is without sin. No one is truly innocent. And so, you know, what exactly is is he dying for? Is he dying because he's innocent and the person wants to make a statement and the movie wants to make a statement? Or is he dying just because the guy's messed up and abused uh, and angry and is just lashing out? And if that's the case, then I'm back to, I don't know that the best, most loving thing that you can do for this person is to let him. In the, in the literal sense of what the movie shows us, yeah. in, a, in a sense, he gets his forgiveness because the daughter goes to forgive him. Mm-hmm. Of course, the only reason the daughter has to forgive him is because he shot her father. Mm-hmm. Which, and the only reason he shot her father is because her father let him. Right. And so there's that sense in which I, I think, I honestly think, what the movie, the movie's coda is, is there's too much talk about sin and not enough talk about virtues. And what's the best virtue? I think forgiveness is very underrated. Well, I, I think there are lots of stories about forgiveness that, but then the most interesting part of the story for me is actually the forgiveness, mm-hmm. which is the movie ends right at the point that it gets, it gets interesting. Or maybe, you know, I'd be more interested in the film if it was the daughter's movie. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, cause then she has to learn to forgive her father for, dying and abandoning her yet again. She forgives the other guy. You know, She's the one that does all the interesting work. He doesn't actually do the work of forgiveness. He just does the work of showing up. So that right. It's interesting that you mentioned the daughter, because I, I don't want to get into... I mean, I mentioned that there are lots of different things throughout the yeah. film that you can think about that I'm still thinking. I mean, one of them is with the daughter, where she's talking through her despair at the mm-hmm. time, and she finally says to her father, her real, her biological father, not her spiritual father, I belong to myself. And Father James says, well, that's true. And false. Um, and, 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 
And that dynamic of how much we belong to each other um, mm-hmm. is one of the things that I have found interesting. And, and, it, and it is part of that ending of the forgiveness. Um, you know, what is the connection between her father, herself, the butcher who kills him? Um, there is a bit of that. But again, it, it starts me thinking about ideas. It doesn't give me much more than that. Um, which is what I would like. It's a talking point. It's a sermon. It's a water, it's a water cooler movie. Um, and so that's, you know, I think as, as we, I think we're kind of coming around back to, you know, the good, not great. It is good. Mm -hmm. It it, it raises lots of, tells us stories. It, it gives us things to talk about. Um, And, and, and in terms of the whole church thing as well, I can mention the pre-show as well. I mean, there's been a lot in the press the last few days about the Mars Hill mm-hmm. um, church in Seattle and its demise um, and things. And, and I think it's, we forget, I think sometimes in the evangelical world, we, we have our corporate sins as well. <laughs> yes. Well, and, you know, and we've got that going on. Um, the entire, you know, the, the violence around race right now, and the protests, and things that we need to be thinking about. I'd say not just in the evangelical world, um, we also have the torture report. The torture report that just you, came you out. Know, and, and I mean, it's like we, we, exactly, I mean, corporate guilt is an important idea, and one that we need to talk about as a nation, as well as as Christians. My fear is by wrapping that message thematically into clergy sex abuse, that's a little bit easy to say, oh, that's someone else's corporate guilt, and so yes, right. he's indicted and guilty, as opposed to never actually then turning that that broader theme into a personal way that drama sometimes does and says, to what extent are we all indicted for things that we didn't do but that were done in, in our name or were done by our representatives or a, a corporate body that we're a part of and that we, we tend to celebrate. I did think it was a good movie. I did think that it, it, it was worth watching. I did give it three stars out of four. The point of this podcast is not that I hated the movie. It, it's to try to force us to articulate why less enthusiastic than... Uh, some other people, but but that doesn't mean that it's it's bad, you know. No. And I, you know, we, we were talking a little bit. I, you know, when, when I if I get around to making like a, a top movies of the year sort of list, I mean, I think it'll go there. Yeah. Um, it's in the conversation, anyways. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's on the outside looking in, but I see a lot more movies right. than than most people do. So, so you know, I think it's it's really a quality thing to. Spent some time with. I'm glad I did. Yes, I would say that. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any comments you want to leave for us, where are we doing the comments now, Ken, now that we've moved our podcast? Probably just on the comment section on right underneath the blog entry. You okay. Know, on Pat one more, yeah. One more film blog.com. All right. Thank you. Merry Christmas.